I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back to Soul Sisters. Oh. What's that face you just gave me? <laughs> I are mean, not ready. rolling, rolling. That's great. Rolling only means one thing. <laughs> I mean, we're rolling in general in life. I thought it was going to be rolling. Life. All right, and go. Yeah. <laughs> nope, just, that's all you got. Right, it's such a metaphor. One warning. It is, isn't nope. it? How are you, you feeling in life? Take. I'm feeling so good. Yeah. I'm so busy. Yeah. That I can't even keep like, things straight. Personally, how are you feeling? I feel like we only talk about work because we do only talk so about work, work and on. that's how I feel about my life. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I can't tell you how I'm doing otherwise. Right. All I, I mean, got. it's all tied into that. And I can tell you, like, I just make lists and look at lists and think about lists all day long yeah and the greatest satisfaction of like deleting something off my list is so great but like even <laughs> so if it's great. like like buy light bulb or you know it's like anything <laughs> yes totally which I have to put everything on everything. like if I do not put something down a date or like any little tiny little thing I need to do or remember forget it never happening yeah yeah Unless so, I remind you. Uh, yeah. Unless I send you a nagging email or text. <laughs> Thank goodness. No, but honestly, I'm like feeling great, but just like incredibly busy. Yeah. Yeah. Such a good problem. To it's have. a great, it's a great way to be. Because you're busy with good, important shit. It's, it's fun I shit. Think. It's fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. So uh, a new fun segment of the show for us today. Some fans submitted questions that they wanted me to ask you. <laughs> oh, it's, it was fans? It was fans. Oh, my God. So we're going to do a lightning round. Okay. Because can I tell you my honest feeling? Yeah. When I first got this email about these questions, I almost emailed you back and I was like. You were going to say no. I was going to be like, I think I loathe questions like these. I I hate them. They stress me out. I get anxiety. It's like a personality test. And it's like, how well do you know yourself? How well can you like... This is your biggest nightmare. It really is. Like icebreakers, all of those things. (laughs) Like I hate. So, but then I read them again and I was like, man, I can do this. It's fine. And also it's fun. And I'm... Well, the ones that you saw are not the ones I'm about to ask you. I know. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So don't relax yet. (laughs) No, I weeded them out. I think... Well, I, I don't know. Maybe you'll stress out. It's fine. Just it's just us drinking coffee. It's fine. Exactly. Exactly. No okay, one's no listening. Need to Let's do it. <laughs> Except your fans. Okay, ready? And really, you gotta like answer as fast as possible. Oh, that's a part of it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. Ready? Halloween or New Year's? Halloween. 
House of Cards or Scandal? House of Cards. Come on. Drunk or high? (laughs) I knew you were going to get weird on that one. I mean, both, but like, I mean. You have to choose. Drunk. Okay. Uh, What girl's character are you? Um, Fuck. They all suck, right? No. Um, Whatever. Right, no. You're the biggest fan, though. I mean, I think Hannah. Really? Yeah. Oh, we're gonna. Come I mean, I'm not. I mean, who who would you be? I. This is not my I'm turn. Definitely Hannah. It's not my turn. Uh, last conversation you had with a neighbor on a plane was about. Ugh, never, never talk to Don't anyone talk. on a plane. Never. No. Interesting. Okay. Good. If they <laughs> avoid at all costs. If they attempt, what avoid at all costs. <laughs> You're in the bathroom. For I the rest like of the my plane. like one. No, I don't know. I probably wouldn't be rude. Yeah, you're not that rude. I'm not a rude person, but I feel like I would like put in my like earbuds or I would yeah, okay. whatever. I would do something. Turn away. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I sound great. I'm Hannah, and I would like avoid no, all cast talking stuff. I like to be drunk. You. Oh God. Um, singer, you want to duet with? It's still Bette Midler. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Hold on to that one. Uh, last song you heard on the radio and liked. And you drive, so you actually do listen to the radio. No, probably. I don't. Really? You never no. flip over to the FM? Never the anymore. Well, it's because now I'm driving in a car that like the radio doesn't really... <laughs> I mean, you have to like click all well. these different things to get yeah. to the radio, and I don't know how to do it. So <laughs> so I really just listen to podcasts and Spotify. Um, all right, well, what's the last like new song you heard? You were like, yeah. I mean, Pure Bathing Culture, I'm obsessed. Okay. I can't stop listening. That's good. Pl- plug for Soul Sisters. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which, oh, by the way, that has one That one hasn't aired yet, but um, look out for that one, guys. Uh, Go to drink order. Whiskey, like Makers or Jameson. Rocks? Mm-hmm. Uh, last movie you cried during. <laughs> or that you remember crying. Ah oh, man. Well, I don't actually. I don't know if I cried, but I talked about this in another podcast, and you're like, "Why are you bringing this up right now?" Because I can't stop talking about Anomalisa. But <laughs> <Okay. laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Because we're talking about animated <laughs> movies. We're talking about Pixar mo- movies we're specifically. Ta- <laughs> <laughs> Neither we're of those. We're talking things. about movies that drive you to emotion. And it is stop motion, so I associated it with Pixar. Very different than Pixar, totally. <laughs> but it's just like, even just just talking about it, my like body feels things. Like I I just felt so much, and yeah. I watched it like three times in a weekend. It's nice. Yeah, you're killing this game. You're so good. Uh, popcorn or movie candy? <laughs> Both. Both mixed yeah, together. Popcorn. Popcorn. Okay. Um, your go-to way to end a conversation is. Bye. But that's not true. I actually know what yours is. Oh, what is it? Amazing. <laughs> that's the way you to use end it in a lot of ways, but you also use it to end a conversation. <laughs> See, I like yeah. That. Uh, okay, that's it. Oh, you I are the well. winner. I'm the winner of myself. You are. Yay. Thanks. That, was that wasn't so go, painful. Fans. I hope you feel like you know her better than you did oh, five God. minutes ago. I hope not. In a good way. <laughs> uh, what else is going on? What else is going on? Tell me something else. I don't know. Uh, that you don't know. You know <clears throat> everything about my life. Even though then, then That's I tell not you, true. no, it's not true at all. And then I tell you something. You're like, um, then you drop bombs then, on me, right. or I read about them on Wikipedia. Oh God. Then we remember that we actually haven't known each other our entire lives. It's like we have to remember yeah, that. Right. 
We, there hasn't been enough time to know everything. Right. Like the fact that I have an older sister who has. I knew you had an older sister. No, for the well, two older, well, two older sisters well, and yes. an older brother. But the fact that I have one that's doing the sort of internet stuff that she's doing. Yeah. She's a digital producer. Digital producer and, and super other rad. Yeah. yeah. But like, yeah, things like that, you'll just be like, um, <laughs> we never talked about that because there isn't time to talk about it because we're so busy. It's true. Like, there's so many things I need to talk to you about. All the time. Work-wise and otherwise, kind of like today, and there's just no time. And we won't talk about it until, I don't know. Yeah, we'll just- I kind of wish we lived in a dorm together. No, I would never see you same. I live in the same building. I mean- (laughs) What? I- we wouldn't see each other even if we lived. No, but then we do like a late night drop by, like tap. No, tap, I would. Tap. Ha- no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> what were you like in college? Like Did that. You lock I, your door. I'm t- pr- <laughs> you were one of those. <laughs> Practically, we got a cat by the end of college in our apartment, and uh, that wasn't the reason that I kept my door closed. But like, I certainly <laughs> kept my door closed on the cat. And also, I'm a private person. I'm like a. I'm like a. You can reach me when I, you know how yeah. I am. I yeah. mean, I think at this Boundaries. point, like, yeah, mm-hmm. like I'll be reachable and in contact and then no. And then I'm like away. Yeah. What's that for? For your own mental space? Mental space. I mean, it's just like I was born like that. Like, yeah. it's like it's not a choice. It's just like how I function. Got so it. like if so like I have like a neighbor that I know, I know someone who's in, like a neighbor, a friend moved in as a neighbor. We're not so much friends anymore but uh, <laughs> that's a whole other story my brother lives <laughs> a couple floors up in the building from me we're not like still the friends. drop by we're still friends my brother he's <laughs> but we're not drop by people like my family. As a family like like in high school my mom i would have my boyfriend over in high school and we'd be in like the adjacent room to the kitchen uh-huh. we'd be in the in the tv room my mom would be in the kitchen she would knock on the door to the tv room like before coming in uh-huh. like it was like there was like such boundaries <laughs> in my family it's like it's, you funny. don't just like pop but now it feels like it's the rebel side of you what the like i have my mystery and i have my privacy and like i'm not completely open and available and for sale all the time well i don't know if it i mean it does i don't intend it to feel like a rebel <laughs> i just am a private weirdo so That's good <laughs> yeah I think it's really good. Okay, I'm trying to learn lessons from that. Good. Yeah. Cool. All right. Yeah. Well, I'm glad it comes off that way and not yeah. the opposite. No, it's good. <laughs> um, all right. Who are we talking to today? We're talking to Maggie Rose. You weren't here for this one. I know. Speaking of busy. Um, and I wasn't that familiar with her before she came on the show, but she was super rad. First of all, she's a really big fan of Soul Sisters, which was really nice awesome. because People are listening, um, artists are listening, and they're excited to have this space where it's women talking to women, which the more I hear from them, the more, I guess, that's really rare that artists even are interviewed by women, um, yeah. and they feel like they really get something out of that experience. Um, so, so that's cool. So good. Yeah. Amazing. Um, and she has a new album out, which we talked about. She played two songs off of it, which was amazing, and she's gone through a lot of shit uh, trying to break in as a singer-songwriter in Nashville, and uh, the industry tried to mold her into something right away that she didn't feel fit her at all. And a lot of her songs kind of sound like love songs, but they're also really a lot about that. And uh, it's really good, empowering cool. stuff. Yeah, I'm she was excited. awesome. Yeah, so you should listen, Dara. I will, and uh, and all of you at home should Continue. listen as well. Okay, Maggie Rose.
Maggie Rose, thank you for being on Soul Sisters. Thanks for having me. This is so awesome. Uh, we have already spent a little time chatting about allergies, mm-hmm. succulents, um, intense exercise classes. Right. Um, wedding planning. Wedding planning. Remotely from Nashville. Yeah. Which is so, the way to go. <laughs> Sorry, guys. We've already worked out all the good topics. We'll yeah, see what else we have to talk about now. All the interesting we, stuff is behind us. We hit all the highlights. <laughs> we didn't talk about music, though, so we have that left. So right. that's good. Um, so you are in New York because you have a show at Webster Hall tonight. That's right. You're on a tour. Is that what's happening? Yeah, I'm doing a little EP release tour mm-hmm. this spring. And uh, my support act is actually a band that I got to produce, which is oh, oh. an exciting new realm of musicianship that I've been able to explore in the last couple of years. Yeah. They're so called is the Morrison the first time? Brothers Band. Um, that I've been able to produce someone else's work. Yes. Very cool. Yeah. And I really, they've been friends of mine. They're actually from DC where I'm from the DC area as well, Potomac, Maryland. And that's how we met. They, the lead singer kind of, um, he's very persistent. No, he (laughs) didn't hit on me, but he got my number from one of my good friends, uh, his ex-girlfriend was friends with her. So, you know, six degrees of separation or Uh three, whatever. And he texted me very routinely asking if he could open for me at this show I was playing in Bethesda. And it was very professional. It wasn't like annoying at three in the morning, but I was like, all right, this guy wants this. And I'm that could go either way. But, you know, I like a risky move on his part. I respected it. Okay, And uh, he had the right instinct about it. Yes, of course. And I mean, that's only apparent in how we've become such good friends. Yeah, I like his vibe. And they're a band of brothers. So it's two sets of brothers. Like literal brothers. Yeah. Literal brothers. The Morrison brothers, the Nolan brothers, and their bass player, Derek Royer, who is, we're all like very incestual. It's my best friend's boyfriend, but okay. that's not why he got the gig. <laughs> he got the gig on his own merit. Uh-huh. And um, I met them, this was probably two and a half years ago in Bethesda. Uh-huh. We became really good friends. They brought me, I was playing two shows that weekend. They were my opening act the first night and the second night I had a different act. And they still showed up and they brought me a bottle of bourbon, which is, you know, definitely a way to get to my heart. Okay. What kind of bourbon? Um, not the kind. Actually, it wasn't bourbon. It was more like my dad's scotch. It was Johnny Walker Red. <laughs> nice. So not bourbon. I'm sorry. Um, they learned later that bourbon You're is my bourbon drink. you bourbon girl? What kind of bourbon? Um, well, you know, I'm pretty easy. Makers is the Makers. routine. That's mm-hmm. the one on our rider. Yep. <laughs> uh, yes. Something about that. Drippy red wax. I love to ask people about their writer, and everyone's always like, "Oh no, I don't have one." But yeah, I only green M and M's for yeah, us. Right. And uh, <laughs> yeah, but no, our writer's actually very basic right now. Um, just makers, makers, the essentials. Uh-huh. Get a little hummus and fruit in there, just so people okay. think we're healthy. Totally. And try and Maybe eat some, some bananas. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so the two and a half years ago, they kind of became my standard opening act whenever I would go back to DC. Okay. And they really wanted to make this a full-time thing Uh and you know Truman has passed the bar and they're all they could do whatever they want but music was their choice and they wanted to work together and I kind of was like all right well you gotta move to Nashville and my joke is if you want to win the lottery you gotta buy a lottery ticket and go where the music is being made Mm -hmm. and they didn't blink and a year ago they moved to Nashville and wow um they were hearing a lot of the stuff that I was working on, which I was producing because I was exploring a lot of different sounds and yeah. I had made a country album in 2013 and, um, 
you know, I'm proud of it, but I think that there were a lot of things that musically and sonically I would have pushed further. Mm-hmm. And that just comes with evolution <laughs> and getting older and yeah. learning from, you know, some compromises we make of ourselves. And mm-hmm. uh, they loved what I was doing and they asked me to produce their album, their first EP. And it was really exciting because uh, they actually got to play on their record. And that's not necessarily standard in Nashville. Uh-huh. And they really held their own. I had two session guys, Pat McGrath and Tim Lauer, who play on a huge percentage of the records that come out of Nashville, mm-hmm. sort of accompany them and fill their foundation of yeah. sound and it comes out. So this is their EP release tour too. Oh, that's so nice. It's very exciting. Yeah. yeah. It's our little family. That's interesting what you said about buying the lottery ticket and going to Nashville. I mean, DC does have a music scene, right? I mean, they have some good venues and I think like what's the kind of music I feel like DC is more of a punk scene, right? Or it has had a punk moment. Yeah. I mean, I moved to Nashville eight years ago. Yeah. So I've been a little removed from the DC scene. And admittedly, when I was growing up, I mm-hmm. was a Catholic schoolgirl who, uh, you know, I was not getting to sing a lot of secular music really until, and this is kind of strange, I got introduced by a family friend who also invested in me in the earlier years of my career to this Bruce Springsteen tribute band. They're called the B Street Band, and they're amazing. They've been together for, I think, almost 40 years, and if I'm aging wow. them, I'm sorry, but uh, they've been together for so long. They're from the Is Jersey Shore. Right? So, th- so like they started when he was still kind of a new thing, right? They must have, and yeah. they, were, they used to be called the Backstreets, and uh, <laughs> there was like a little legal battle, but they ended up changing their name to the B Street Band, And, you know, it wasn't necessarily the perfect fit for me. Of course it wasn't. I was 16 and they were in their 40s. But it gave me a chance. And I also wasn't singing Bruce songs. I wasn't. And I wasn't singing the Patty parts either. I was doing my own (laughs) opening set with them where I'd cover this wide range of songs and artists that I loved. And then I sort of snuck my... Uh, originals in there and I was playing in front of a drinking crowd on the Jersey shore. And that was something that a lot of 16 year olds weren't necessarily getting the opportunity to do, especially out of DC. Yeah. And it was a whole new world. Family friends know to link you up with them. What were you doing? I was, I was the town singer in Potomac. Like I was the, I sang at all the weddings. I sang at church. I would sing in the youth choir and I got to kind of, uh, conduct the youth choir in high school and I just kind of had the reputation as you know the girl who sang at all the Christmas pageants and um so you're a versatile singer yes but I think you know I really hadn't broken into what it meant to be a performer until I got onto that stage where you know you had to really improvise behind the mic and you had a live crowd reacting to things you were doing uh, in church, people are very, you know, courteous to you. Uh-huh. Obviously, they're not going to be like, boo, or whatever. <laughs> and it's a totally different and type of not singing. not that drunk usually in church. Yeah. Like when you, I was listening to your interview with uh, Susan Tedeschi, and it was funny because she was Catholic. And, you know, she was talking about how pure her voice was as a child. And mine was super sweet and I almost can't do that anymore just because of how far I've come from that but it was 
you more think about it's, being perfect, a perfect yeah. singer, as opposed to connecting with what you're singing about. And I think it's just because I wasn't singing songs that I was connecting to yet. It was more about, yeah. you know, the part that I was supposed to sing for that mass or right. that wedding or that private party or whatever it was. It's interesting that that connection to what you're singing would actually change your voice. Itself. Absolutely. That's fascinating. Yes. Cause I think it's almost like you have to be broken way down mm-hmm. and then rebuild back up to yeah. uh, finding your own vocal ID. And there's a level of insecurity when you're no longer singing a part given to you that, you know, Catholics all over the world are singing or you're not singing another song that someone's already released. It mm-hmm. really came with the writing process and starting to incorporate original music and you know, I stopped wearing the sundresses to the headliner in <laughs> Neptune, New Jersey on stage. And I started, you know, trying to visually help people anticipate what they're about to hear. It's just uh-huh. all very interconnected. And it was a lesson that, you know, I very gradually learned over my late teens and early 20s. Mm-hmm. So, I'm still learning it, honestly. But. <laughs> well, that's good. You yeah. should always be learning. Was your house a musical household that you grew up in? Are either of your parents artists, musicians? No. No. Okay. No, they're not. And, uh, you know, I was talking to my guitar player this morning. I'm like, I wish someone just put a guitar in my hand when I was like eight or whatever. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that my whole family did do was really nurture my love of singing and, um, You know, my parents have great taste in music. They always had music playing throughout the house and, you know, a lot of kind of interesting singer-songwriter types like Mary Chapin Carpenter. I was super familiar with that. And Mm -hmm. my mom loved Tracy Chapman and Annie Lennox. And just, I remember her just always introducing me to stuff. Yeah. And my dad would sing Sinatra in the kitchen while he was cooking like pancakes for dinner (laughs) or whatever. Um, And when they had friends over, I was expected to sing and it wasn't like oh, wow it wasn't like okay I gotta go sing now like I loved that I would like sing standing in the living room with everyone sitting around the fireplace you? that was like my little stage really and uh you're like a Von Trapp child right yeah <laughs> good night <laughs> yeah. but it was cool because I would you know I'd be singing like Pocahontas or whatever <laughs> I was watching at the time from yeah. a really little age or practicing my solo at the Christmas recital uh-huh so I was, I always identified myself as a singer. Okay. From a very early age. Yeah. And my parents drove me to every choir practice, every, you know, all those little events that I was asked to do. And then when I started playing with the B Street Band, they would load up the Suburban and we'd drive four hours to wherever the gig was. And it was exciting for them to just kind of be like, this is a whole new world for us. And yeah, they became, I think, bigger lovers of music mm-hmm. as my love for music and performing grew. Are they very religious? Was your household very religious or is it more just the tradition of going to church? It was more the tradition. Yeah. I think the one thing about my parents is they're really cool, great personalities. So, you know, when I describe my childhood as this Catholic upbringing there, it's more like a societal a perception of, you know, this is the box right. that I grew up in in my community and not a lot of people were um, moving away to Nashville to pursue a music career. Yeah. <laughs> so my my parents have, 
I think imparted a lot of great traits on me, not taking everything too seriously, being candid, being who you are. They empower me to be that individual. But Uh I think that there are a lot of other things outside of, you know, my familial structure that sort of made me think, okay, you're not behaving, like stay within this lane. Mm -hmm. And I had to like shake that off when I moved to Nashville. So when you started performing with the B Street Band, you were 16? Yes. So were you missing school for that? How did that work? I wasn't missing school. I was like living a double life. (laughs) I guess I, uh, it was a lot of the shows took place during the summer. That was when their heaviest touring season was. And, you know, I just go on weekends and, you know, sometimes I'd bring my friends with me and it would just become like kind of a cool party where we were living a a little bit more of like an adult life Uh playing at bars and stuff. Yeah. Um, but since my parents were there with me and <laughs> overseeing everything. Didn't get uh, too crazy. It didn't get too crazy. I kept my head on my shoulders okay. for the most part. And <laughs> uh, it was interesting. Were you going to a Catholic private school? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, yeah. The uniforms, everything. The Kindergarten through 12th grade. Um, and a lot of my high school friends, you know, I'm still in touch with them. And yeah. they followed the career. It's been really I've been very fortunate to have the support that I've had. Yeah. Um, Cause that could have made you feel isolated from right. your classmates having that double life. Well, and it was tough. Like the toughest part for me was uh-huh. when I moved to Nashville, I was 19 and uh, maybe the biggest stigma that I had to deal with was leaving college early, especially coming from, a community where no one was leaving college early. You were getting that degree, yeah. Even if you weren't going to get a job with it or whatever, right? It was just it's that. not even a thought. It probably right. wasn't even a thought. Do I go to college or not? Right, like that was automatic. Not, that wasn't going. a discussion. Yeah. That was. I, I went and I auditioned. I was studying music at Clemson, mm-hmm. and um, my investor, who's at the time, uh, was helping me record these originals which I probably would never play for anyone in their entirety (laughs) but you know I was I was shedding it out I was working out you know what my voice was and this is stuff that you were writing yes when did you start writing writing songs I started writing well pretty early um I wrote a few songs when I was 14 but I didn't there was a gap for me for sure um there first of all weren't people at least that I was aware of that wanted to collaborate with me and I if there were and I didn't discover them it was because I was kind of too scared to be like hey you want to write a song with me it's a very vulnerable process yeah and like I said that was an unconventional thing hobby to really have yeah and um I think when I wrote the first song that I actually really wanted to realize and record in the studio I was in my car while at Clemson singing into this little voice recorder that I had because I couldn't do it in my dorm room. So I was like driving around campus singing this idea that I had. It was a song called One Way Love and it was about uh, unrequited love, of course. And (laughs) uh, I remember just, you know, one of the lines I thought I was so brilliant at the time 
uh, which is hilarious when you look back at your stuff. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. I, I wish I knew everything that I thought I knew. Oh, God. Then. I know it can be painful. It was like a reference to Sisyphus rolling a rock up oh, a hill. Wow. Yeah. I was like, whoa, okay. That's some, some deep stuff. <laughs> that's really funny. But I, it was still kind of addicting to just have a song that I liked. And yeah. Of course, my grandparents still say that's their favorite song. But, uh, so you didn't know for sure if you wanted to go for this professionally at that point or you were starting to think I wanted to figure it out yeah yeah I I was in South Carolina yeah and then on the weekends I was going up to still play with the B Street Band wow so it became very apparent that this was not a way (laughs) that I could continue to exist and succeed at both and I think um my specialty was at Clemson was eventually going to be really digging into music and uh, I was going to pursue a vocal performance and management major and then try and leverage that to be in the music industry. And this door opened for me where the originals that I had written and recorded got into the hands of Tommy Matola. How? Yeah, that's a good question. I, so it's really, I think, just six degrees of separation. I think okay. he had a good day. <laughs> um, my uh, investor at the time, who I keep, I'm like, he who shall not be named. His name is Tom Natelli. He's still my really <laughs> yeah, my good investor. friend. Yeah, it's I know. Like a very it's such mysterious a formal title. name. But his name is Tom <laughs> Natelli. Uh, he is still one of my best friends to this day, even though, um, you know, he's not necessarily in uh, business with me anymore. Okay. Um, but you know, he did a tremendous amount of work for me and tried to, he's in real estate, so he doesn't have any music connections, but he knew a guy who knew a guy who knew a guy who knew this other guy, David Bonderman. (laughs) And, uh, he knew Tommy from just life, I guess. And that was how I was able to get my demos through to Tommy. And he loved uh, my sense of melody is what he said. Wow. And, um, I went, I remember I was on my way to econ and I got this call <laughs> from Tommy Matola's assistant. And I thought it was a prank call. Honestly, she's like, Tommy Matola's on the line. And I just stopped in my tracks. And, uh, Tommy was like, Hey, I would like for you to come up to, uh, Manhattan and sing for me in my office. And two weeks later, I was standing in his office, which was above uh, Bergdorf, and I sang him a few songs that I had been working on, and he was like, what do you want to do? And I said, at the time, I want to sing country music, and I guess... Yeah, so when did country come into play for you? I think there's a lot of factors. Mm -hmm. I loved... um, the lyricism of country music. I love the storytelling aspect of it. Uh, Taylor Swift was emerging and I thought it was cool that there was this young girl who was singing about really you know, candid things and writing them in a way that was refreshing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I loved Bonnie Raitt. I loved Mary Chapin Carpenter. I mentioned, uh, I grew up in that time where Dixie Chicks and Shania Twain and Faith Hill were it, Yeah, you know? And, uh, it seemed very wholesome to me compared to what was going on in pop. And I guess my mentality at that age, I wasn't even 19 yet, uh-huh. was Nashville is where I can 
go and become a better songwriter. It's where I can develop. I can yeah. pull from all these resources. It's Music City. Mm-hmm. And I moved there very quickly. I left college and uh, so but going back to the tommy meeting right yeah know, when you t- so because that was before you moved to nashville uh, right yes, you're still in college I, moved to nashville. I was still in college i was still enrolled it was november okay 20th uh-huh. 2007 <laughs> you'll never forget i'll that never day. forget see i told you i remember <laughs> yeah weird details <laughs> well that, that one a big i understand de- detail. Yeah. <laughs> um it's one of the more significant days of your life You'll remember that and like your wedding date, maybe. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) Which is also upon us. Yes. Um, But I. So you said to him, I want to do country. uh, Yes. And And he said what? He was like, I think that's a good fit for you. I worked with the Dixie Chicks a lot and he wasn't necessarily involved in my career from that point on Mm -hmm. very intensely but he did make a tremendous connection for me and I uh, was introduced to James Stroud and Laura Stroud and James is a super successful producer I mean over the years he's had over a hundred or something I'm probably under the number significantly a hundred number one songs that he's produced and Laura was um helping with the A&R or had helped with the A and R at Sony for uh-huh. the Dixie Chicks. Okay. And um, and they are Nashville people. Yes, they're okay. Nashville. So people. Tommy put you in touch with them. Mm-hmm. Got it. And it was sort of like baptism by fire. Yeah. Uh, we had a six month plan to immerse me into the songwriting community in Nashville. Of course, Tommy's like, "All right, in six months, you're going to release an <laughs> album, and you're going to do this and this and this." Like he's a larger than life guy. Yeah. And did you guys discuss the dropping out of school together? No, I didn't. That was really on me and my parents. And what was that conversation like? I braced myself for this, (laughs) you know, no, hell no, you're not. Yeah. Kind of conversation. And it was totally opposite from what I expected. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Um, you know, I did you just, go home to talk to them about it? No, I remember I called them from like the like a closet of my <laughs> sorority hall, which yeah, like it was because I was so nervous. Sorority that I would just, girl, yeah, right. I know you're you still can in believe that mold. It. <laughs> yeah, I've molted into yeah. a few different things, yeah. and actually, they're like huge constituents for me. I really? feel like they've continued to be super supportive, but. Yeah, I don't necessarily think that had you met me when I was 18, you would uh, in any way 
predict where this, path, this was going to take me. And um, so you called your parents. There were a lot of things I had to fight to kind of get to where I wanted to be and where I felt myself. Yeah. But my parents were super receptive to it. And they were like, this is what you were born to do. This is, you know, essentially this is your vocation. And that's how well my parents know me. And like, I didn't just swing a guitar over my shoulder and be like, I'm going to Nashville. I had right. them behind me. I had, you know, someone helping me make that landing a little softer. You know, Tom Natelli and his family were super generous and really believed in me as an artist. And at that time, you know, labels were already changing so drastically that I needed like a little boost. And I had been signed to Universal and released a cover of a Kings of Leon song, which was not my first artistic step out that I wanted necessarily. Uh Um, You know, I had another song that I was in love with. that was fully produced and all done. And I got the call a week before shooting the music video for the song. You're going to do this. And, um, you know, I'm thankful to Tommy for the intro, but uh, I don't... Who was that call from? Tommy, Matola, and... uh, Doug Morris wasn't on the line, but it was okay. something that he was a part of. And um, honestly, I don't know if Doug Morris would even know who I was. It was just this, this lack of understanding about what it, there was never a discussion about my artistry with anyone who wasn't close to me. But they were hugely influential in the path that I had to take. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my parents, my family. The Natellis, the Strouds, they really wanted to dig into who I was and help me find my voice. But I also know that the person they were working with was a lot more paralyzed and timid and entirely different from where I am now. And that was eight years ago. And it's because I've seen some things and I've, you know, had uh, perceived failures and. Okay. All that stuff. So looking back on that period, you see a lot of compromises Mm -hmm. that you were making. Absolutely. Okay. But I mean, it all led you to now. So it does, you know, and, um, so you did that Kings of Leon song. The Kings of Leon song is exciting. There wasn't, you know, it was my first big music video shoot. Uh It was all just like a lot. Baptism by fire. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're going on a diet. You have one week to get in video oh shoot shape. Um, <laughs> learn this song, make it your own. First of all, that's a huge task for any artist to do to reimagine a song that's currently racing up the charts. Yeah. It just, my instincts were saying that that wasn't the right move. And I hear the song every now and then, and I'm proud of the product but I also know that there was a limitation before we even got started on that being right a big statement from me as an individual Mm -hmm. it was again putting me in that place where I was a singer only Mm -hmm. um and I felt like that was you know in my subconsciously I was like okay this is my path I'm gonna be a great singer and luckily Laura Stroud who was sort of like my Nashville mom sister, helped me find an apartment, decorated it, moved me in, introduced me to all these heavy hitter writers who I still write with today, you know, Stephanie Smith and Lisa Carver. And um, I mean, I could go on and on with names of 
people she's worked with and introduced me to is because she's a publisher. Uh-huh. And she, so much of what she taught me is what still resonates with me now. It's being able to find a great song and knowing that a good song is a good song, regardless of its origin. If I wrote it or if I found it, can I connect to it? Mm-hmm. And that's where I feel like the door started opening for me to that place where I realized that this is my way to communicate with people, to reach out to them, to reach within myself. And it was the beginning of a really long process of self-discovery. Yeah. So were you signed at that point? I was signed so many times. I don't really know. (laughs) Uh, I've been on lots of different record labels. Yeah. Um, But that Kings of Leon cover, that was just a standalone? That was a standalone singles deal. Yeah. Um, And then... How did the album come about? The album... There was no album. I had to end up... So I signed a singles deal with Universal Republic. Uh-huh. And this is before Republic Nashville existed. Okay. So, and, you know, this might be controversial me saying this, but Nashville doesn't like when Tommy Mottola comes in and tells you who to work with. And I won't name any names, but the people who ended up taking over Republic Nashville mm-hmm. were very fickle about if whether or not they wanted to get invested in this project because they mm. didn't find it themselves. And it wasn't their baby. But when I had a good week at radio without any radio promotion, I was somehow on their letterhead. (laughs) And then when I didn't, I was off. And I was back on and off and on Mm, and off. Funny how that works. And eventually it just got to this point where I needed to grant myself a chance. And I needed to have someone who was going to put in the time and the work. And no one's doing that anyway today anymore. Uh, Not that I'm seeing very often. To develop me as an artist to mm. show me the ropes mm-hmm. to let me like figure some things out yeah and so what do you see that people are doing instead of that well I mean it's there's a lot of different things happening I think Nashville is evolving in a good direction um what I'm not doing anymore I can really only speak from my experience is you know I'm totally independent right now mm-hmm. and I have never been able to get involved in so many different things, you know, being a producer, writing music for myself and other artists of all genres, getting involved in EDM projects. This thing I just did with uh, my friend and publisher, Dallas Davidson and Big Boy and Manny Fresh. I would have never been able to do that had I been on that path that I was on where everything was for country radio. And uh, I think that, People need to trust the artist, which is really easy for me, an artist, to say. (laughs) But I think that's not really being done, and people aren't taking the time to develop. They're throwing things against the wall, seeing what sticks. And it's kind of sad because I think that we're going to have a lot of hits, but we might not have a lot of legends emerging because of that. Exactly. Because it's not a very sustainable model. Right. If you're not letting artists be authentic to themselves, it's going to run out. That that kind of first time magic is going to run out. Right. It can't sustain over a career. Yes. Yeah. And you need an artist to be able to live outside of that one song. Right. Right. And their people and their very multi-dimensional, just like our audiences are. Um, and that's one thing that I found with Nashville is, you know, country radio and country music are not the same thing. And 
a little brief history for me was I started a label with Tom. Mm -hmm. It was called RPM. And I was on that label for a couple years. I released my debut full-length album with RPM called Cut to Impress. Mm -hmm. Um, You would think because I was an independent artist that I would have had like full control sonically over it. And I'm proud of what we did. And I worked with a really talented producer, Blake Chansey on it. And James Stroud was part of it on some of the sides that we kind of, uh, sort of remodeled. They were, we redid them a little bit, but Uh he was a producer. Um, but I was sort of like, okay, be this, but don't be that. Okay. You can say that, but don't say that. And it was a watered down version of myself. And it wasn't until all of that went away that I either could have packed up and gone home or just been like, okay, now it's time to just worry about what I can connect with because people are smarter than we give them credit for. The (laughs) audience is very smart and they know when you are being genuine and when you're being calculated. Mm -hmm. It's true. Um, So we'll talk about making that first full length album, though. The first full-length album was made. It was such a Frankenstein of an album because <laughs> I told you my path has been kind of crazy. Yeah. And I was uh, you know, signed to Universal and then all these other independent labels from there on, which allowed me to keep my master's from all of those different uh, business families that I had, which was a total blessing because mm-hmm. I just was able to not have to abandon everything. But it also made, uh, you know, stringing that common thread through all these songs that I had amassed over a four-year period a little difficult. And I think it also was a challenge to be like, these songs represent who I am right now. And I would sing the single, Mm -hmm. which was the first single is I Ain't Your Mama. And, you know, I had found that song two years prior to when we finally released it or a year and a half prior. Uh So at that point I was like, this is not topical at all. And I understand that you're not going to be able to just sing songs you wrote last week all the time, but it just was not representative of where I was Mm -hmm. by the time that I was getting it out to people finally. Because you were evolving so much. Yes. Yeah. You know, I'd gone through a whole Mm rebranding thing. Um, my team at RPM uh, sort of encouraged me to reassess what I wanted to do as an artist. But again, within this little box, go crazy, but stay with here. <laughs> right. And, you know, I cut my hair. I started going by my nickname. Uh-huh. Uh, my birth name is Margaret Rose Durante. I started going by Maggie Rose. Uh, I was a little sassier, but not too sassy. <laughs> You know, I would sing about, you know, bad girl stuff, but not... Not too bad. Not what I was doing at, like, 2 a.m. on Saturday. Like, I couldn't put that into a song. Yeah. And it's not that bad. But, you know, it still was, like, you know, just put a little governor on everything. And yeah. that starts to just drive Because they want you to get onto radio? Country radio. Yeah. Okay. And country radio, I don't know if you've talk to a lot of people who've been through that cycle but it was like the perfect storm of trying to get a single on the radio for me it was the timing they were playing you know 
15% women at mm. most. In mm-hmm. fact, the whole thing that happened with me starting to release music that I've been recently writing, which was all over the place, was spurred by a comment made by a radio consultant, Keith Hill, who I actually talked to the guy for an hour and a half after he made this comment. Uh, but he said, you know, women are the tomatoes in our salad. They're the accents in our salad. The bulk of our playlist should be, you know, the lettuce, which is the Luke Bryans and all that stuff. Whoa. Yeah. And, you know, he, he said, said it, this publicly. He said it in an industry interview and he had an unguarded moment. It got picked wow. up by the Washington Post. Uh, I happened to be home visiting family and I had amassed, you know, tons of songs. They were crazy, though. And I was like, people are going to get whiplash <laughs> if I'm just like, wow, here it <laughs> yeah. is. But I was so like, you know, F this. I am going to make music. Uh I am not going to be deterred by the fact that country radio blew up in my face. They, I was releasing a song called Girl in Your Truck Song. Sorry, this is like a little side note. I'm all over the place. It's called Girl in Your Truck Song. Uh Uh, It was the first single off a country pop record that I was making. I was so excited to get the rest of the music out. And there was this whole debate over bro country versus traditional country and the traditionalists were like oh my god she's subjecting herself to this sexist idea that we're just the girl in the truck song and I was like I'm trying to have a little fun this summer and put a woman in the mix yeah I can sing the song from my perspective right because these songs wouldn't exist without the girls influencing them yeah I don't want to meta that song yeah yeah and thank you but it also you know people who were crucifying me for like I will burn my bra in front of you if I didn't need to wear it (laughs) but I was like this is so funny because they haven't examined any of the other songs I've released Mm -hmm. like this one song looking back now that Lisa Carver wrote where it's like raging feminist song it's literally if you don't want to get on country radio sing that song yeah but you know I was embroiled in this political debate about Bro country versus traditional country. And then Maddie and Tay, who were with a major label, came out with Girl in a Country song. And it came from the entirely different perspective of we're not just going to be a girl in your country song. It's great. They wrote a great song. I think I was singing a great summer song. Not every song needs to be super heady where I'm killing two people (laughs) and being put to death. Like looking back now, I had. And I think I just was like, I'm stepping back from this. It's clearly political mm-hmm. they ended up not playing girl in your truck song and putting girl in a country song on the on the verge program and that's great but it was just like I was a David and Goliath thing yeah and I signed a publishing deal with Dallas Davidson because he was going to be a co-producer on that album that had girl in your truck song and you know he's been painted as the godfather of bro country but he's so like his music is so substantive. If you really look in his catalog, he's got the same thing that I have where it's like, yeah, y'all look at his hits, but he has thousands of songs that are being overlooked by the very format that is rejecting them Mm -hmm. that you're asking and clamoring for more of that kind of music Uh within. And, um, that was the turning point for me where I was just, we dissolved the label Wow, Tom and I, he was like, which is why we're still such great friends. And he made me the 
operating manager of our company uh-huh. and he's still such a great advisor to me, but we were just so, we just were floored by the years and years that we had spent traveling the country, meeting with country radio, playing free shows, like crisscrossing everywhere to and from to promote these songs and then really having no loyalty to show for it. Yeah. And like my voice is getting shaky talking about it because it's really like it was upsetting. Yeah. But, you know, I've had a few friends who have remained close with me throughout the process from country radio. So I'm not like the individual completely burned down those bridges. Absolutely yeah. not. I mean, I have people like I had relationships with these people yeah. and, you know, I would send them new music and be uh-huh. like, this is what I'm working on. And they would check on me after I kind of went a little dark for a while to uh-huh. go write and create. And Dallas saw me in the studio at a demo session one day and I was telling the band what to do. And he was impressed with how I was able to articulate to these musicians and help realize sonically how these songs should go. Yeah. And I have probably the best publishing deal in Nashville <laughs> and he lets me do whatever I want. Mm-hmm. And he lets me produce uh, all of my demos myself. That's and awesome. So when all that was going down, did you think about leaving Nashville or leaving the yes. business even? I mean, no, okay. not the business. Okay. Yeah. I had my melodramatic <laughs> week where I was like, like, what was the low point? What were you thinking? Because that, I mean, I'm so bummed out just thinking about you going on a leap of faith and this amazing thing happens with Matola and you go to Nashville and you're just like ready to do it and follow your dreams. And then it's just so political. It sounds it's like, so you know, and you couldn't possibly be prepared for that. No. Yeah. And I didn't, I, that's why I feel like my music is my favorite that it's ever been. Yeah. It was hard for me to figure out like what is the music that I want to listen to that I'm making. Right. I guess it makes you think like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Like really figure it out. The low point was when I found out that, you know, we weren't going to keep pushing girl in your truck song. And Mm -hmm. I had like four or five songs ready for this EP of songs that I still play now, but I've reproduced them. I've made them fit more with what I'm doing Mm -hmm. now. I was so excited to get that music out because I had been sitting on this album that I released in 2013 that, no, I already told you, even the songs when it was a brand new album had worn on me a little bit. Yeah. And I was like, God, I can't wait for people to hear what I've been working on. And then Girl in Your Truck song was, you know, up in that David Goliath ballot mm-hmm. battle. And uh, I knew it was going to be pulled off the radio. And, uh, you know, Tom and I both were like, there's no reason to just keep this label going like this is just so expensive and there's no light at the end of the tunnel in this approach. And I remember sitting in bed and I was about to move out of my apartment. I was going to downsize. and uh-huh. I did. I, you know, we had purchased this apartment for equity in our company. We sold that. I moved into this little shoebox. It still cost me $1,600 a month. <laughs> it's total BS. And, yeah. um, I signed a publishing deal. I was worried about how I was going to clean up everything with Tom and all the time and money that he had invested in me. Mm-hmm. And of course he was unbelievably gracious and, you know, we're going to continue. I will try and pay him back for the rest of my life, but 
know, he also doesn't want that of me. He wants to see me be happy. And, mm-hmm. um, I was in my bed knowing I was about to move and it was like noon shades drawn and my friends just beat down my door and brought me some yogurt and like <laughs> basically made me get out of bed. And yeah. that was it. And, um, around that time is when I fell in love with Austin too, which was really crazy. Cause he is, I told you we're incestual around here. He is <laughs> Dallas's business partner. So he's the VP of oh, play wow. it again and, uh, Dallas's assistant. So we kind of like started our relationship and I was like, Oh my God, I just like started working with Dallas and, <laughs> uh, my life is up in the air. That's and, funny. uh, Dallas was like, please, I knew you guys were, into each other before you even did we're like of course you did Dallas and you know the rest has been history and he's been very empowering to me I think it's yeah you know, not to be sappy but it's like we're a little duo he's yeah the, did he help uh, you find energy to then uh, yeah start over again which you basically were doing it sounds like yes yeah and you know he listened to everything that uh-huh. I wrote everything and it was crazy to share that level of you know creativity and musicianship with someone else Mm -hmm. and have them really understand and not be scared away by what a lot of people could perceive as a lack of focus Mm -hmm. it's like what you just turned an EDM song yesterday and now (laughs) like this weird rock song and he was excited by that and Dallas was excited about that and you know I started to just become addicted to that creative process Mm -hmm. and addicted to the uh creative process without you know that perimeter that I had to kind of never go outside of for right. all those years leading up to really two years ago yeah so now you have shunned genre you're not yeah. into it anymore <laughs> I mean I I respect that for marketability yeah. you should you know let some people get an idea but yeah I, I think that we are in a really exciting time where people are consumers are about discovery mm-hmm. and you know maybe it was when the iPod came out which was not that recent that people started to have these playlists that were super dynamic and versatile and that's a really good point actually yeah and yeah. i mean look at country music today it's totally diversifying and right um, but yeah even like people's playlists don't often follow genre Mm-mm. you know it's just songs that they like it could be all over the place right and that's how from I jazz to country to edm just stuff that turns them on yeah. yes and you know that's why i love playing festivals and attending festivals mm-hmm. because i can go see ren weaver on one stage and drake on another right and like <laughs> they all belong together and yeah. i think that artists that i love their versatility is their brand uh-huh and you know, I think Prince passing away has been really timely for me in releasing all this new music. And it's very dim, dim silver lining, but it's hearing all these people talk about how he shunned a categorization of who he was as an artist. Yeah. No, it's funny. I've been thinking about Prince a lot during our conversation. Oh, I, well, that is super flattering because <laughs> I'm not comparing myself to him, but it's so like, you know. No, but I can see him as being a good model for you. Yeah, inspiration for you and what you're doing. It's proof that it works. You don't have to follow convention for people to follow you. No, you know, and it's that, that authenticity thing that you were talking about. Right. That's what people are responding to. 
Yes. More than, oh, this person fits into this box that I'm prescribing to. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's not what really gets the people. I don't think so either. And when you really love a good friend, Uh you've seen them sad and you've seen them really happy and you've seen them every range of emotion. That's Uh how you know that you've been intimate with someone. And if I can make my listeners feel like they have a good sense of who I am and Mm -hmm. they don't feel alone, they felt all those things too. Yeah. Like we're all very complex. And I think that if you want to be perceived as just one thing, then you're doing yourself a disservice. Right. But that's just my humble opinion. <laughs> I mean, it's also brave what you're doing, though, because it can be easier to sell an artist. Yes. If they have that genre label on them. It can be. But I or at least thoroughly. Historically, that's that. been the assumption. Yeah. Maybe right. It's not true. Um, I think that if you have the right political leverage uh-huh. and you have a great marketing team and you do your what you specialize in really well yeah then of course it works and it will uh lead to monetary success and that might be you know I know a lot of artists who are really good at you know a certain type of music and I just would when I want to hear that kind of music I want to hear them Mm -hmm. but I I stay invigorated by doing a lot of different things Mm -hmm. and you know, coming from Maryland, we didn't have that, you know, we had the punk scene in DC and everything, but that wasn't really something that I was aware of or super exposed to. And yeah. I listened to everything cause uh-huh. we're not North we're not South. We're not, we don't have a genre that's like indicative of Maryland. Right. Right. <laughs> and I just feel like when I stopped following rules mm-hmm. and listening to that inner voice, not to sound like a hippie, but you know, I, I it's did. okay. I, I'm happy. Yeah, I, I embrace her. Um, then that's this is where it led me, and I think an extension of that was breaking into the producer world, and mm-hmm. you know there aren't a lot of those in females in Nashville doing that. Yeah. So that was scary too, but I was empowered by how people were receiving all the different music I was putting out, and I realized that I have listeners out there who are fans of me and not of the genre and that's when I started to be like all right let's just see where this takes us yeah and I've noticed that you're very engaged with your fans on social media (laughs) which I think is great I think it's really well it's I'm sure it feels very authentic for them they feel like they're connected to you and I think it's also smart on your part because it is again establishing that personal connection with your fans right you know I you learn a lot from your fans though too and mm-hmm. I think you know social media has its uh pros and cons of course but it's nice to have a little bit of a, a litmus test or a barometer for what people are gravitating towards and especially since I'm not gearing up like same sky is mm-hmm. our single and I have a I did air quotes, air quotes for that yes. <laughs> but you guys can't see those um it's our single and we have a music video for that that CMT is playing which is awesome CMT loves the and I thought that they might be deterred by the fact that there's some super pop stuff and but they're just like this is a great country song we'll invest in this and in you as an artist and um that being said we're not doing the whole gearing up around one song where you spend 
X amount of dollars in promotion to drive it up the charts. Mm-hmm. I'm letting the people decide. Right. And that's what it's we a democratic did. process. Let the people decide. Yeah. Whatever and, song you guys like the most. Yeah. We know how the democratic process is working <laughs> so well for us right now. Oh yeah. It's a great moment for that. <laughs> but uh we did that with laid back too. Mm-hmm. I don't know what genre that is. You know, Dallas talks about his days as a Georgia boy getting high on a tractor and I talk about, you know, buying cigarettes in a parking lot and drinking <laughs> Boone's farm and you know, my friend was like, the way you sing it, you kind of make me almost believe that Boone's Farm tastes good. Because <laughs> that's what we would uh, That's drink. quite a compliment. I was like, thank you. I'm glad I had that effect on you. That's so funny. Made you forget. And then Big Boone's Boy comes person. in and talks about police brutality and, you know, crazy stuff. And all of that in one song existing together, we were scratching our heads about where to put it. But we were like, just release it. To, we didn't really do any promo for it. Uh-huh. We put it in the country genre on Spotify, but uh-huh. I think it's going to be really exciting to see how it's shared and yeah. who discovers it. So that's separate from the EP. That is Dallas's project. So Dallas, Okay, got it. Um, I was just a feature on that, and mm-hmm. it's cool to see him you know, at this stage in his career finally be like, all right, I'm making a project, and yeah. it's a perfect marriage of his little gangster Georgia boy uh, <laughs> hip hop side and his super country side. Uh-huh. And that's him. Yeah. So the variety show is part one of a double set. Yes. That is forthcoming, mm-hmm. I guess. Why two EPs and not one full length? I guess it harkens back to what I was saying about that first LP that I released um, where I yearned for the songs to be more topical to what Uh was going on in my life at the time. Okay. And I think right now I can just, everything's kind of like buzzing around me and how quickly things are changing and evolving is really exciting to me. Mm -hmm. And I also didn't want to give people too much whiplash. I wanted to retain the fans that I had made Mm -hmm. and I wanted to be discovered by fans that, you know, maybe weren't, into my previous works or okay. for whatever reason they didn't listen to country or I don't know. Yeah. And, um, so volume one is kind of a bridge. Yes. Yes. Okay. I call it my little lily pad stepping stone. Nice. And then so will volume two then be even further into yes. new area. Okay. It's going to be a, a little more aggressive uh-huh. is the word, um, that I <laughs> use, I guess, production wise, uh, subject matter, definitely uh-huh. lyrical content that, uh, I would have shied away from in the country music format. Okay. Um, there will still be elements of where I came from though, which will have, you know, a country tinge to some of the songs and there's going to be super rock songs and there's going to be more cinematic pop stuff and R and B stuff. And the beautiful thing is I'm still sort of in the selection process. I have about 10 songs I'm choosing from. I've narrowed it down to for the second volume Uh and I'm already working on this full length LP that's gonna be kind of out there more pop uh more kind of like uh formulaic where they're they all belong together it's not the variety show (laughs) right 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 it's gonna be a cohesive project with a thesis statement at the end Uh uh-huh no I'm just kidding (laughs) You're trying to make up for those uh, semesters of those college semesters that I, yeah. you bailed getting on. those credits. Yeah, exactly. Get an well, honorary degree eventually. Kevin Nolan from the Morrison Brothers, who's like this 
badass guitar player. Uh, if you come to the show, you'll see him. He's a character. <laughs> but uh, he wears like this awesome hat and uh-huh. just looks like a rock star. He's 88 years old in a 22-year-old body. <laughs> but he dropped out about the same time as I did. So we always say between the two of us, we have a college degree. Yeah. We're really proud of that. That's funny. You seem like an old soul, too. I Or you've just experienced a lot in a I've short always, amount of years. I've been told that. People stop telling me that around like age 26, though, because I guess they're like, all right, well, you, should, like be, caught up to you should be this yeah. smart now. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, I, I'm good at faking it. No. But I think yeah, I've seen, earned seen your stripes. things. Yeah. But it's nice. I feel like you have a lot of perspective on it already, you know? Yes. Like you've been able to derive lessons from it and that's like instructing you well now. Very much so. Yeah. And I think I attribute that a lot uh, to the people that were around me. I was just really fortunate to have, you know, one of my bandmates who now plays with Steven Tyler because uh-huh. she's total badass. That's awesome. She what was, does she play? Uh, drums. Cool. And um, this is actually one of the first gigs that I'm not playing with her because she's going on tour with him this summer and our paths will connect again but I needed to go let her play with Steven Tyler for the summer she auditioned for my band in an Aerosmith shirt so I mean oh my god yeah I was not gonna be like holy "Uh, shit we're not friends anymore (laughs) how could you leave me for Steven Tyler you're like at some point you just gotta look at yourself and be like yeah go play with Steven Tyler exactly um but she was so important to like kind of hold this together she'd seen me go through all these crazy things. She was with me for five years and she saw me make compromises of myself. She also saw that growth and we became really close Mm -hmm. very quickly early on. And, um, you know, she's, we were talking on the phone last night she's like, I feel like this is your moment. Like, it's just like watching you fly. It's going to be kind of weird to watch from the outside. And, uh, she knows now I think she was able to kind of take this gig uh-huh. with this peace and acceptance, knowing that, you know, I was going to be all this. right. Yeah. And I heard that. And do you feel that I way? I do. I feel that way. Yeah. And I feel like this is going to challenge me because she was my band leader and she was very, um, you know, influential on how I put on a show and put a show together. And mm-hmm. knowing that she was behind me kind of gave me this super strength on stage. And, she helped me evolve to the point where, you know, now I'm my band leader and I'm running this. I'm not listening to anyone or looking to anyone for permission. I'm not apologizing for anything. Mm -hmm. And her seeing that, let her kind of go do this. And yeah, it's tough. We miss each other, but that's for total personal selfish reasons (laughs) because she's, you know, one of my best friends. Um, No, it's good. I don't think she would have been able to do this if I didn't kind of, I had to get to a point where, you know, she felt like, okay, she's going to be great. And yeah, you got each other there. Yeah. And then you can fly away right. and then reconvene. That's nice. And yeah. I'm surrounded by men again. Yeah. <laughs> but you're leading them. Right. Yes. <laughs> That's the important uh, detail. Exactly. It's good. Uh, well, you're an awesome soul sister. Thank you're an you awesome for, soul sister. Thank you for telling us your story. It's so good. I, I feel like talking to you. There are a lot of like young women who are following you very closely. And I hope that they're all listening to this because you have really good lessons for them. 
Thank to you. Take the heart. So keep keep talking. I love that you guys are doing this. I think it's the first one that I heard with Susan Tedeschi. I was just cheesing when you introduced <laughs> the whole segment and <laughs> what it's about. And you, I'm you will have a wealth of artists to talk to who probably okay, have... well, send them our way. Please. Yeah, <laughs> I will. Word. All right, so you're gonna play a song or two for yeah. us. Awesome. Off the EP. Yes, off the EP. Okay. Um, do you know which songs you're going to do? Yeah, if uh, we can do two. Please. I would like to do um, Same Sky, uh-huh. which is a The song. air quote single. Yeah, the air quote single. <laughs> and it's a song that I wrote with Jason Sines and Alex Klein. Alex uh-huh. Klein is uh, another female producer in town, one of the few, and she co-produced the track with me. Uh, she played every instrument on it. She's ridiculous. And um, I feel like it's, the song that I chose as a single because it keeps one foot in some of the approach that I had on my previous music, but it's introducing a lot of new phrasing and musical styles and production is like way more beyond where I was. Mm -hmm. And then the second song I'm going to play for you is called Love Me More. And I wrote that with Stephanie Smith and Lindsay Lee, uh, so a lot of girl power in that room that day. Awesome. And it's a song that if you're just hearing it, you would assume it's about just a relationship between me and the guy that I was with, who I was with someone for three years. And this is definitely a song I wrote post-relationship. And it took oh. me a few months to actually find the courage to write it. But it was also, it coincided with my breakup with, you know, the path that I was on. It was a little career breakup too. Okay. So I was able to draw from both of those experiences and I, I love that song. I'm I'm proud of it, but it's very it's very emo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. All right, let's hear it. All right. a falling star we listen to our dreams in a melody coming from your car holding on to you looking in your eyes i saw it just like a new moon takes its turn and fades away i used to have your heart but your heart was made to break mine and change holding on to you looking in your eyes i see it i see Like I said, I'm all good And baby, it's too late to call me on the phone I can see you don't get it You don't get it now Used to be what was mine was yours But now I want it all back Can't call me, baby, no more Can't tell me how to act Only thing we share tonight Is where underneath the same sky All those good kids 
only thing that's yours and mine. Same sky, same sky, same sky. It's the only thing we share. Used to be what was mine was yours. But now I want it all back. Can't call me baby no more. Can't tell me how to act. Only thing we share tonight is we're underneath the same sky. All those good kisses are left on your lips. Shot a patrol, my hair is a mess. I'm out on my own and I'm working this dress, breaking the rules that almost broke me. Talking to boys, ignoring your call, 'cause hearing your voice would only make me feel small. I couldn't be who you told me to be. With every shared cigarette. Later it gets. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get living again. I got a few scrapes, but I'm back in my skin. Every mistake I'm owning. I'm making sure I'm who I'm doing this for. I tried things your way. Hey, it wasn't working out for me. Hey, sorry, but I gotta say I love you, but I love me more. Not gonna lie, there's things that I miss, but you never tried to know me like this. I was losing myself until you lost me. I'm not gonna hide. My light's way too bright. I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get living again. I got a few scrapes, but I'm back in my skin. Every mistake I'm moaning. I'm making sure I'm who I'm doing this for. I tried things your way, hey, it wasn't working out for me, hey. Sorry, but I gotta say I love you, but I love me more. I love me more, yeah. Breaking the rules. Breaking the rules, breaking the rules. It almost broke me. Breaking the rules, breaking the rules. It almost love me more. Breaking the rules, I love me more. Ooh, I'm gonna do whatever it takes to get living again. I got a few scrapes, but I'm back in my skin. Every mistake I'm moaning, I'm making sure I'm who I'm doing this for. I tried things your way, hey, it 
wasn't working out for me. Hey, sorry, but I gotta say, I love you, but I love me more. I love me more. Yeah, I love you, but I love me more. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.